this is Danielle from The Jealous Curator, and this is episode 128 of Art for Your Ear. This episode is supported by Saatchi Art, the world's largest curated online gallery offering original art by independent artists from around the world. You can visit them at saatchiart.com to see their beautiful lineup of originals and prints. So, today I am talking to an artist who tells intricate stories using thread. Yep, LA-based artist Michelle Kingdom is on the podcast. I wrote about her a couple of months ago, and so many of you emailed me and said, get her on the podcast. So I did. I have a ridiculous amount of questions for her, so hopefully I can stay focused. Also, I'm home alone with my dog, so if you hear barking, whining, or scratching at the door, I'm going to apologize in advance. This is a really super common problem for most high-tech podcast productions. Anyway, let's find out how and why Michelle does what she does. Ready? Calling LA. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Danielle. How are you? A little bit I'm sick. Do- I do have a little bit of the sniffles, so I apologize in advance. <laughs> well, <laughs> thank you for doing this, even though you're not feeling 100%. Oh, um, I, thank you. I, I'm a huge fan of your podcast. I just discovered them recently, and I've gone back, and I've stitched <laughs> by many of them. Oh, happily. that's so nice. <laughs> that's awesome to know. Well, yeah, it's so funny, because I wrote about you not that long ago, and um, thinking that I'd written about you five zillion times. I don't know why I hadn't realized that. And then so many people commented and said, get her on the podcast. Oh, so nice. Yeah, so here we are. So if you've been listening, you know, I like to go back and know what you were like as a kid. So yep. were you were you embroidering? What were, what were you doing back then? I was an arty kid, but I was not into embroidery. Um, so my whole family on my mom's side was always into the arts. My grandfather was an advertising art guy, oh. kind of like in Mad Men, yeah. except, you know, it wasn't as racy for him, I think. <laughs> um, and my mom was always an artist, so were her sisters. She went to UCLA and studied art for two years before she got married and had us, and then went to work with my dad in the family hardware store in Hollywood for 50 years. Whoa. <laughs> but she still did artistic things, and we did arts and crafts all the time at home. It was mostly drawing, um, lots of sewing also on my mom's side. Everyone was a seamstress, and I grew up in the 70s wearing handmade clothes by everyone. <laughs> Lots Me of too. great family photos. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I loved it. Um, and my dad's side, they weren't artists, but my dad is a maker. Um, like I said, he, he started and ran his own hardware store, um, and he can fix and make anything. And even still, they're so cute. They're retired in Palm Springs, oh. and every day they work together making birdhouses. My dad does the wood part. My mom paints them. Oh, so that's awesome. It's really sweet. <laughs> well, I was wondering, I was thinking, geez, in a hardware store, I could find a lot of art supplies. Yes, yes, and and I grew up there. It was fantastic. Yeah. Did you did you get to pilfer things like paint chips and uh, brushes and stuff? Yeah. 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 We always had art supplies and you know lots of boards to draw on. Um, you know we did lots of more like traditional drawing. Um, but like I said, there was always fabric around for my mom's side, and you know lots of tchotchkes all yeah. around the house. Plus, they're they're savers. So, you know, they have the whole family history, you know, going back generations. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Well, yeah. so, so did you, first of all, did you go to art school? I think you did. I, I went to UCLA and my major was in art, yes. But, you know, it was really a liberal arts college and that was my major. So I always had the intention of making art my whole life, but I never saw it as a viable career path. Oh, okay. What did you think was a viable (laughs) career path? You know, I kind of feel like I have been stumbling through life in that way. I was never a kid, and I always envied those people that were like, I'm going to be a doctor, or, you know, I'm going to be an archaeologist, or whatever it was. I knew I loved to make art, but I also knew our society really doesn't value it, um, and I never quite knew what I was going to do. Um, I enjoyed many different jobs and careers along the way. Um, and so I kind of just sort of, um, was feeling my way through life, I suppose. And I, you know, I wanted to go, I loved college. I loved studying things. I know you're a big fan of art history and so am I. Um, and it was just what I love. So I felt like I could get a bachelor's degree doing what I love and then I would sort of figure it out later. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. And so what, what did you do later? So you graduate and then what? Yeah, so I graduated, and my first job, um, I actually taught art to developmentally disabled adults, which was a really interesting experience, but the pay was terrible. 
I couldn't live on it. And I think I worked there for less than a year. And then I went to work for an insurance company for a while. Um, so I was, you know, kind of making things on the side, just trying to figure out how to be an adult, which yeah. I'm still doing, by the way. I haven't quite figured that out yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but eventually, you know, a few years into it, I thought, oh, I love clothes. I love art. You know, I'm going to go and I'm going to get a certificate in fashion design and do something in that in that side. And yeah, I did I end up. That, yeah. <laughs> I saw that on your resume and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. So I worked um, in the garment industry for a few years. Um, I started out assisting. Eventually, I did work my way up to designing. Um, you know, my real love was really in costume, to be honest. I I don't think I was actually a very good designer. I mean, I was I was a hard worker, but I was in the junior division, and that's like the rat race of the garment industry. Mm -hmm. So it's like you have to try to predict what teenage girls and tweens are going to want to wear four months from now. Oh. So it was, it was, it was really awful, actually. I mean, I think some things have changed from what I've heard of in the industry. But overall, like the hours are terrible. The pay, you know, around the world, it's like slave wages for people. It's really kind of a horrible industry, at least for me it was. I'm sure there's many wonderful designers out there um but that's not really where I was <laughs> yeah and it probably wasn't where your heart was completely either no not no. at all and and actually I used to love clothes especially vintage clothes now I pretty much wear jeans and sweaters and that's it yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'm done shopping now <laughs> I know did that happen when did that happen when you had your daughter um actually that happened before so you know I, I'm kind of like cutting to the chase of all these things but you know life is happening I'm in relationships um, at, at the end of my career in fashion design, I had also, um, uh, my boyfriend and I at the time, we'd been together for a long time. We split up and I just, everything needed to change. Mm. So I ended up going into teaching art to kids in an after school program, which was fantastic. Um, and I also you know, met my husband. Mm. I didn't have my daughter yet. Um, but I just, I knew at that point I loved being around kids. I didn't really know that before. When I grew up, I was the youngest and I was never around kids. I never had that burning desire either to be married with children. Mm -hmm. Um, so it wasn't until I think my nephew was born that I thought, Hey, you know, maybe I do want this. And, <laughs> and then I, I, I made some big life changes. Um, and then I found out, you know, I really loved being around kids all the time. Oh, that, and and so how old were the kids? Art. How old were the kids in the after-school program? Yeah, so, okay, they were 5 to 12. Wow. And it was a very traditional fine art program. So actually, like, we were giving them more technique than I ever got at UCLA. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I got Everything. no technique at, at university either. Yeah, I mean, it was all totally conceptual, um, and there were lots of great things. But similar to the experience I've heard you share, you know, you walk through there and you end up kind of feeling like, there's no pathway for me. You know, I not exactly sure what I want to say yet, but I know that this isn't it. I know I don't want to just make cold, ironic, yeah. massive art. That just wasn't for me. I just, I like to make things. I wasn't quite sure yet what my voice was. Yeah. I was interested in textiles and kind of over the year that kind of unfolded um, on the side really for me as really a private um, uh, retreat for me mm. creatively. And was this in L.A. the whole time? Yeah, most of my life I've been in Los Angeles. Um, we did spend one year um, when my daughter was uh, two and three years old up in Oregon, and then we came back. Hmm. Okay, so you're, you've met your husband. <laughs> you're working in this after-school program. Yep. Um, is he an artist, too? He's not. He's a musician. He doesn't do that for his job, um, but that's his background is in music. Okay, and did you meet him in that program? Or you just happened to no, meet him at that same no. time? Oh, no, okay. he's, he's actually from England, um, mm. but we met through a friend. Um, so, yeah, this was, it was oh, okay. all kind of like a lot of life changes happening at one time. Yeah, but he's no, always okay. been very supportive. And so then, okay, so you're working there, and that's when you sort of started doing embroidery stuff on the side for yourself? Well, okay, I sorry, I know that we're kind of jumping around here. I but know, sorry. The first I'm initial, excited. no. <laughs> and, and I'm happy to do it because it's really hard to try to make your life sound cohesive, you know, especially if, like me, you've just sort of been stumbling around. Um, but basically, um, back back growing up, like I said, I grew up around seamstresses. So um, I always sewed. I always had a needle in my hand. I loved hand sewing. Um, I didn't do embroidery until I was in college. I was finishing up UCLA. 
I was taking weaving and spinning and I was just interested in, in all the facets of textiles. Hmm. I don't, I'm not exactly sure what prompted me to start embroidering, but that was when I first started experimenting. And I did these really tiny little images on silk scraps that I'd found. Mm. And I was just using sewing thread at that point. I didn't know anything about embroidery. Um, my only resource at that time, this was all pre-internet, was like a Reader's Digest 1970s <laughs> complete guide to needlework. And like that was my Bible. <laughs> but, you know, oh, I was that's amazing. just drawing. Do you <laughs> I still have it? it too. Oh, okay, oh yeah. Yeah, I totally do. <laughs> and so what did, considering you were in a conceptual program, what did they think of that? Well, I never showed it to anybody, Danielle. Oh. I never showed it to anybody. So I had started doing a few pieces. And to me, it was like your voice, your private voice running in your head. It was always like that to me. I felt like nobody else would have any interest in this. Um, but I felt like it, it was just something I had to do. Um <laughs> I was wow. doing drawing and painting in college, and that's what they saw. Right. <laughs> so I didn't show anybody, you know, for until probably, I don't know, 2010. I didn't oh. start showing in galleries until 2014. I mean, I really never showed anybody, which I feel like the good part of that was I kept out every outside influence. So I got to have my voice mature without anybody. And, and I'm not saying that that's always a good thing. For what I was trying to do, I was really able to not be self-conscious yeah. and just kind of plow ahead and just make whatever I want. And that's really what I still try to do now. It's a little harder because I feel like, you know, now people are seeing it, too. So I know there's going to be a response, um, but, I, but I still try to keep pure to that vision. Mm -hmm. Well, and you could hone your craft without yeah. any eyes on you or anything like that. Exactly. Wow, that is so great. 2014, I can't believe that. Yeah, well, I didn't stitch consistently either for all those years. So I had started doing um, several, like the first year out of college, and then I was doing things here and there. I was I was actually making um, clothes based on vintage patterns and selling them on my own for a while and making mm. like dolls and doing lots of stuff over the years. It really wasn't until 2010 that I seriously picked it up again. Um, it was always sort of in the back of my mind as... Like, this is what I really want to be doing, but I never quite found the time or um, the motivation. And, you know, plus I had a daughter in 2002 and, you know, you're living life along the way. Yeah. Um, but that was really when I, when, when things really started to come together and I felt like now was the time. Now I had the technique. I had something to say. You know, I'd lived a life. Yeah. Um, I found my voice and I felt ready um, and inspired. How, what, how was the, how did you put the first piece out into the world? Okay, so I was also a latecomer to the internet, um, and as I told you before we were arranging this conversation, I'm not the most tech-savvy person <laughs> in the world. So my first foray was on Flickr, yeah. which probably a lot of people started on, and I know there was a lot of people have since left. I'm still kind of on there, and I started it around that time really to hold myself accountable. Mm. I felt like if I felt like there was a place where I had to put up work. Even if nobody was seeing it, I would be responsible because I'm a responsible kind of worker. So I thought, okay, I, I'll, I'll set these goals for myself. I'm going to make a piece a month or, you know, I didn't have something that specific in mind, but I just knew it would motivate me. Yeah. Instead so of leaving it on a posting. shelf, it would go yeah, somewhere. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and I still have that box by the way, with all my old pieces and they're still sitting there on my shelf. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm glad they're there. Are they sitting there with the Reader's Digest? You know, they're in two different rooms, but okay. they can see each other. Oh, that's good. That's good. Um, and so, what do you remember what the first piece was that you posted on Flickr? Um, like, is it still there? Can I'm, I go look? It is. It is still there. I'm not sure which was the first one I posted. I absolutely re remember my first piece that I made yeah. back in, like, 1991. Yeah. Um, and I remember everything about it. Um very strongly. You know, you kind of remember, I, I, I mentioned this to you before, but I do work on one piece at a time. So I do go deep into each little narrative. Yeah. So I feel like, you know, if, if I just take a few moments, I can kind of recall a lot of the things going on at the time. Um, I'm not sure how long it took for me to start getting a response back from people. In, um, but I started posting to 
you know, like different fiber communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and was just pleasantly surprised that, you know, oh, hey, other people are actually interested in this. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not surprised at all. Um, and so I guess that just, yeah, that probably helped keep you accountable too, because yeah, yeah now you're getting a response and that's a little yes. bit addictive. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, okay, so you're doing your thing, your narratives, let's talk about that because yeah. there's so much going on in there. Yeah. <laughs> and where, where do those come from? Are they dreams? You know, Are they things you're trying to say? Are they... What? Yeah, you know, it's it's hard to try to put it into words or else I would be a writer, of course. Right. Um, but, but, you know, trying to explain your process. Um, you know, I'm really interested in our inner monologue. And I'm not talking about um, our necessarily just our aspirations, but our fears, just, just that constant barrage of thoughts that doesn't quite make sense. You know, the voices that you're hearing when you're trying to go to sleep, and mm-hmm. I'm a terrible sleeper, by the way. And it's sort of like how they're all crashing together and you, you just get an overall feeling. Yeah. That's really what I'm trying to, to get tuned into. Cause I feel like that's where our true identity, our true self lives. That's where our happiness lives. Hmm. Um, and I, you know, I, I can't make sense of it and I don't really think anybody can, um, you know, life is beautiful and horrifying and all of those things wrapped into one. And, and that's really what I'm, I'm trying to have little vignettes that, all together, I, I kind of see my whole work, even if they're not all living together anymore, as one larger piece mm-hmm. where, you know, I'm just trying to get through this reality like everybody else. And this helps me get through it. <laughs> so when you're lying there not sleeping, yeah. um, <laughs> do you get the pictures in your mind of like the groups of people or the way, you know, the swans or like? Oh. It, it depends. Um and, and my process has changed a lot over the years. Um, initially, I had started working a lot from old family photos and memories and very personal things mm-hmm. that I was tackling at the time. Um, you know, now I use other images and um, lots of, you know, old photographs that I can find. Um, and I kind of mix them. I have a huge collection of sketches that I keep now and quotes. Um, when I was really making a, a push to get serious about my work, I was reading a lot and I was discovering a lot of great authors um, that, you know, I may have been familiar with before, but I was finding in a new way and also painters, Hmm. Um, not so much even fiber people, although I I love a lot of great fiber artists, but a lot of historical embroidery. I just, I noticed that I was really interested in people that were focused on intimism and symbolism, um, Hmm. things that were maybe quiet and you had to, kind of take take a pause to go into the work. It wasn't necessarily obvious. It wasn't loud and screaming. I just felt like, for some reason, that's what resonated with me, and that was the kind of work that I wanted to make. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad you brought up symbolism, because that's, when I look at your, I'm trying to decode everything. Should I give, yeah. should I give up, or does everything <laughs> mean something? Like, does a swan um, mean something, and a tree mean something? Like, or should I just yeah, so let it go? I, you know, I think you should do whatever you like, but but I am definitely a fan of symbolism, and it helps me as the creator. I like to build stories along the way. So, yes, usually even the type of plant or flower, you know, I have been researching what the symbolism is on that, mm-hmm. and there's a reason why I'm putting it in. You know, I'm also a big fan of, you know, the Dutch masters and all of their very, you know, subtle coded symbolism. I, I just think it's interesting. It's interesting for me as a maker even if it's not going to come across, especially in Stitch, it's hard sometimes to see the details. Um, but I, I, I do try to have a rich, lots of rich layers, but they're usually more than one thing. Yeah. I'm not trying to make a closed story. I'm just sort of opening up a, up a conversation. Yeah. Um, even for myself, and, and I hope that other people will find their own stories as well. I don't think it has to be all about my stories. Um, you know, I'm yeah. hoping it's a little more universal than that. And that's part of why it's evolved to, you know, beyond my initial work that was much more private. Yeah. How did you feel about, uh, cause I've talked about that on the podcast before where, um, <clears throat> when I first started doing collage, I was using, you know, images of my grandmother and yeah. it felt so, it felt too personal to put out into yeah. the world because if it was criticized, it's like, Hey, that's my Grammy back off. I know. Yeah. <laughs> did you um, feel like that or no? You know, I didn't necessarily, well, well, for one, because I hadn't shown anybody in so long, you know, I, I, there, there were no voices for a very long time. Right. And basically once I started showing a lot of this stuff, I felt I was brave enough 
to be like, you know what, I can pull this back. If somebody doesn't like it, you know, I'm just going to go back to doing it submerged. Right. And I was fine with that. Um, but once, what, what happened was around 2014, um, my, my very oldest and best friend, who's almost like my sister um, and a friend actually of my parents, um, this older gentleman really encouraged me to start showing my work. And I was like, what? You know, no one's going to want to see it. But I applied to a call. I think it, the show was actually called Women's Work. Um, and I, I applied and I got in and I was pleasantly surprised. Um, and once that happened, of course, I had to start selling my work. And I had never really thought about that before. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that, that was a little weird to be parting with work that was, you know, like based on my Aunt Sadie or something, you know, it's like yeah. well, someone's going to have this in their room, but, but it's changed a lot now. And I, I, I get very immersed in each piece as I'm working with it. But for me, it's really about the process. And then once I'm done now, I can be done. I can send it off. It doesn't matter where it lives. I don't even have any of my work hanging in my house. Anyways, they're all sitting in that box or else really? they're gone. Yeah. So to me, it's like, they're all in my head. I try to document well with images. It's great to have all these outlets on social media so I can reference things if I need to. Um, but once I've finished it, it's done. Huh. That's actually really, like that feels like a really nice release in a way. Yeah, it is. It's a very cathartic release. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> go and be free, little one. Exactly. Go and live in the world without me now. Thank you. <laughs> I've done my best. I've raised you exactly. well. Exactly. <laughs> um, Oh, I have so many questions. Okay. Um, okay, I'm going to jump back to one thing you said. Maker. Um, with embroidery, do you ever find that you get put into a craft camp versus a fine art camp? Yeah, so, you know, and it's interesting because I'm, I'm asked this question a lot. Mm -hmm. um, I actually don't get put into the craft camp too much. Most people have said, oh, you know, look at this as art and this is fantastic. Or, you know, they've been really positive and supportive and I'm so appreciative of that. Um, you know, looking at it objectively, there's nothing functional about them whatsoever. So if somebody does think of them as craft, I'm not quite sure how they would put it to any kind of use. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I do think there is, um, you know, a fine art craft world. I don't think that's what I'm doing either. I'm definitely making art. Um, it doesn't offend me, but I just feel like it's probably not really a genuine understanding of what I'm doing. Yeah. I do think it probably is dismissed just by the nature of its medium. Um, and that's part of actually why I chose this medium. I liked years ago that nobody was looking. I liked that it was small and easily overlooked. I liked that it was something that women made and it was coded into bedspreads and, you know, <sighs> old historical embroideries and like schoolgirl needlework. You know, that this was ways that they were communicating um, and, and it was just overlooked. Yeah. Um, and I just thought, you know what, I want to look at them again. These were not the people that wrote our history books, but they're writing another kind of story. And actually, I identify with their story more than the victors that yeah. wrote history. So that's what attracted me to it. Oh, my God, that was beautiful. Oh, thanks. That was a really good answer. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, I've, I've taught, I love, I love the... Uh, the whole, you know, fine art done with quote unquote traditional craft materials. I find yeah. the whole thing just so fascinating and yeah. um, how it can so easily be like, oh, paint equals art, thread equals craft. And it's like, what? Like, it's just so weird that a material would, would categorize something so quickly without the yeah. looking at the content or without looking whatever. I just find it so interesting. And that was such a good answer. Well, and I do think, you know, of course, so much of it does have to do with gender throughout history. Um, you know, men actually did do a lot of old needlework, but it's still associated with women because most women did more functional day-to-day -day yeah, kind the of needlework. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, I, but, but still, anybody who actually makes art, um, art, and especially if they make needlework as well, you know, I love drawing and painting. That's actually what I'm trained on, and, and I actually view what I'm doing as really drawing with thread. I'm yeah. not trying to do a painting in thread. I'm not trying to imitate another medium at all. I like it for what it is, and but I'm not trying to be um, a technical embroiderer. You know, I'm trying to kind of walk a lot of funny lines. Mm -hmm. um, but anybody who's like done painting versus embroidery knows, you know, painting, even the slowest kind of glazed oil painting, which I love, is a whole lot faster than trying to stitch lines. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. That takes forever. And why that has a greater monetary value, I mean, it's just, it's really just 
a misunderstanding or not fair or sexist. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's a, a fine melange of all of those things. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> um, and so, um, well, you said women's work. I'm so excited because we're doing a show next year together. Yes. That you're going to be in. I'm not going to call it women's work. I'm because there are a lot of shows that have been called that I've now realized yeah. after I thought yeah. that, but um, it is going to be a whole bunch of women doing really cool things with sort of traditionally considered, you know, crafty stuff who are making right. insane fine art. So I'm very pumped about that. I think, what did, yes. when is it? <laughs> next I'm not next sure, March. but I think next year sometime. Yeah. <laughs> it's so far off that, like, and then all of a sudden it'll be here, but it's in LA at, in, uh, like, I think March. So super yeah. pumped about that. Um, Okay. Oh my gosh. Um, what was the other thing you said? Maker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So your first piece goes to a gallery Yeah. in 2014 mm-hmm. and then did it snowball? Was it slow and steady? Yeah. You know, I feel like it kind of went really fast to me. I, I applied that year in 2014 to maybe a handful of calls and for somebody, most people listening are probably artists, but you know, you apply to a call, you either get rejected or accepted. And I was, I was accepted to all of those that year, which was really exciting. I started selling my first pieces. Um, and after that, I didn't need to apply to calls anymore. Then people started contacting me Mm -hmm. and I've really just been lucky. They've been contacting me to buy work. They've been contacting me to um, be in shows or to have, you know, articles um, I've just been really, really lucky. No, I'm going to interject and say, you're not lucky. Luck is a four-letter word that rhymes with something else. Um, <laughs> I do feel like, you know, I, I have worked very hard, um, and I do feel like the work is good, but but I do think there's a certain amount of luck, too, because there's a lot of great people out there making work. Right, like right place, right reason, time kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Right place, right time. Yeah. And I think, again, because it was made in isolation for so long, it, it didn't look like anybody else's. Yeah, and I, I was going to say that you can, uh, yeah, I can, you can always recognize yours right away. Yeah. Just yeah. even the way you stitch or something is yeah. really recognizable. Yeah, it's like, you know, your language or your, um, uh, the way you print, which, yeah. or even the way you hear your voice, which drives you crazy. It's like, you can't help it. That's your handwriting. That's my <laughs> stitching. It's just how it goes, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, I was going <laughs> to say, because I was wondering if it sort of snowballed or what, because... I was just going through your Instagram feed and it's just like publicate like high fructose last year, like crazy and um, album covers. And so I was thinking like that must just be people now knowing your work and reaching out to you. Yes. And actually all of them were, I, um, that's where I'm saying there's, there's been some luck involved. Um, You know, I didn't really have to go out and say like, Hey, do you want to, you know, publish me? Like people came and said, Oh, we'd like to use your work for this or that. Yeah. Um, and I've been like, yes, please, you know, yeah. thank you. <laughs> sure. I know. And so do you, is, do you find it quite exciting to open your inbox in the morning? Cause who knows what's going to be in there? Yeah. You know, and it kind of comes in spurts, yeah. you know, like there can be dry spells and then all of a sudden there'll be like a ton of stuff. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's always exciting to be honest, whether, um, you know, it's something that has a very small readership or a much larger one. It's just, it's just really wonderful when people care about what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How do you feel during those dry spells? Um, you know, this has all happened in the last few years. So, yeah. I, you know, I, I can't really complain. Um, things have been kind of quiet lately, but only because I'm gearing up for a show that my work actually just got to New York today from what Ooh. I saw via FedEx tracking. Oh, thank Hopefully goodness. It's all safe. Yeah. So, <laughs> but it's funny when you have a show, you know, you, everything's kind of on hold. Um, yeah. I'm mostly sold out. Um, so it's like, well, you know, this is reserved until this show happens, so it's kind of a strange thing. Yeah, when when and where is that show? It's going to be in New York at Foley Gallery, and I'll, I'll post about it as it gets closer, but it opens April 4th. Okay. And should be there for about a month or so. Oh, that's exciting. How many pieces? Um, 11. Whoa! Although I'm not sure if they'll all hang, but I shipped 11, so we'll see. Wow. <laughs> How big are your pieces? Um, you know, they, they started off teeny tiny, like a couple of inches. So to me now they're huge at like 11 by 14 inches. Right. (laughs) So they're still small (laughs) in, you know, the art world, but to me, um, and for the time that they take, you know, they're, they're much larger than they were. Yeah. No kidding. (laughs) Well, we were talking right before I hit record and, um, 
you were saying about how, you know, you sort of focus on one piece at a time, which I thought was kind of interesting because yeah. so many people I talk to always say that they've got like, you know, five things on the go at varying stages, but you just sort of hone in and do one at a time. Yes, I'm always um, fascinated at how people can do that. But for my work, I can only do one piece at a time. That's actually all I want to do. I like to totally go in, immerse myself, dive really deep into the narrative. Um, yeah, and when I'm done, that's why usually I'm really done. It's been a whole cathartic thing for me, and I'm ready to end that experience. <laughs> right. <laughs> and does your neck kind of hurt? or? It can, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a taxing medium. You know, it takes a very long time. It's hard on the eyes. It's hard on your wrists and your fingers. Yeah. It's hard because I'm not exercising, and I should be because I have to sit here, you know? <laughs> you should do it on a treadmill. Yeah, oh, my gosh. <laughs> the stitches would be insane. I should try that. Um, and so how's your working then? Do you have a plan ahead of time, or does your narrative kind of unfold as you're going? Um, uh, kind of both. So yeah. what I do is, you know, people often ask, you know, how long does a piece take? And usually I know they're meaning how long does it take to stitch, because it can take, you know, 50 to 100 hours. It's crazy time-consuming. But the really time-consuming part is the part before it ever gets there, just coming up with a concept. Mm -hmm. So, you know, to me, that's more important than anything, Um Rather than how it looks technically, I need to make sure it's something I'm interested in yeah. and I really want to invest this time in. Um, and that's not an easy thing, um, something that you want to live with for a month or more. Right. Um, so I, every, it's so funny. You go through this process. Um, I'm sure everybody does. But, you know, once you finish your piece, you're like, hooray, I'm done. I love it. The next day, oh, no, now what am I going to do? You know, and you're living in terror. Like, I'll never have another good idea. Yeah. You know, you're wrangling for days. And I pull out, like, all the zillions of sketches I have and um, all the quotes I've been collecting. And, I, you know, you try to, like, just make magic happen. So you kind of have to wait until inspiration strikes. Usually sometimes it's quick, but sometimes it takes a while. Um, and you kind of are really collaging ideas together. But I, I kind of do it in a skeletal kind of format. I do a drawing, ultimately, and it, it's kind of minimal. You know, when you transfer to fabric, that's the most horrible part of the whole embroidery process. Um, but in a way, it's kind of great because you, you, you don't have a lot of control. Mm. And that's part of why I like the medium. It's like I, I don't want to know exactly what I'm doing. If I can see it fully, then I don't want to make it. Then I've already done it, you know, all right. for all intents and purposes. So. Yeah. I have an idea of what I want to do, but I want to keep discovering along the way. So I kind of open the door, I get it ready, and I start working on it. And, and then it all starts unfolding in the stitching process. And, and things get added as I go. I never usually totally know what I'm, what I'm doing until it's really complete. Hmm. I mean, every, everything, every kind of what kind of stitching I'm going to use, the color choices, um, it, it's all unfolding the whole time. Wow, that's cool. And what if you, what if you like, use a certain color and do you ever go, Ooh, nope. And take it out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, luckily it doesn't happen too often, but yes, that does happen. Um, it's frustrating when it happens, but you know, it's more frustrating to have to look at it forever Yeah. and be bothered by it. So what is it do? forgiving uh, enough that you can do that? Um, or do you have you to know, be careful with is. the holes? It, you do have to be careful. Um, I started out stitching on silk fragments, and that's a really temperamental fabric. Yeah. Um, and I switched to linen, which is the most wonderful fabric of all. And I can see why, you know, even the ancient Egyptians used it and everybody since. It's it's wonderful. It stretches beautifully. Um, it's more forgiving. It comes in beautiful colors. It has a lovely hand. Um, so it's definitely my, my fabric of choice. Yeah. How did you start? Like, how did you try that? Did you go from silk to linen? Yeah, you know, I, back when I was first experimenting back in college days, you know, I, I stitched on lots of things, cotton and yeah, whatever you could find stuff and jersey, you know, which yeah. is horrible trying to stitch on like stretchy fabrics. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, you know, you just you experiment and then, you know, along the way, I guess you find what suits you. Yeah. Um, That's yeah, cool. I, I've been playing around with the whole, but I had um, Amy Henny Brown on the podcast a couple of weeks ago and she is... Um, she refers to herself as a paper pervert because she knows everything about oh, yeah. every kind of paper. And um, so I had her on because I'm trying to, I'm sort of experimenting with different papers for my collages right now because yeah. I'm not really happy with what I've been using and I want to go bigger, but it buckles when you put paint on, blah, blah, blah. And um, so I've just started trying these, these like, well, one's called Yupo, but it's a bit too plasticky. And then I'm going to try Terra skin this week and it's exciting it's fun to yeah. like just 
player. Like I haven't had that much fun in the studio in, <laughs> I mean, and I have fun in the studio, but I was, yeah. I was like almost giddy. I was, it was just so fun to like, was that, what happens when you do a wash? What happens when you do a blob? What happens when you glue something down? And oh man, it felt like, yeah, I'd love kid. to see that. Yeah. Well, it's, a, it's a hot pictures. mess, but <laughs> yeah, you'll, but you'll have to show pictures from the, the side angle for us. So for us tactile people can get a real close, juicy look at it. <laughs> yes. I've been just like blobbing acrylic paint on like icing <laughs> and just seeing nice, but the Yupo, I love the Yupo, but it, it's plastic and the acrylic is plastic. So it just peels off. Oh no. In like a perfect, I mean, if I wanted perfect blobs, I, I could peel them right off of there and make a sculpture, I guess. But apparently the Terra skin has a little bit more papery quality, so it actually absorbs some of the paint so it won't peel away. Oh. Yeah, so I'm, that, I ordered some. It should be here today, I yeah. think. So, um, but I know what you mean, like just playing around with that stuff, going, ooh, nope, too stretchy. Oh, nope, yeah. too this, too that. And so you have found, you have found your love of linen. I have, and yeah. I do love it. I wish it came in even more colors and different variations, and, I, and I'm sure I could resource more, but, um, you know, yeah. in my next life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or you could go to, like, Oaxaca, Mexico and do a, right. a, a dyeing um, residency or something and dye your own linen. Yes, and I did actually, um, back when I was weaving and spinning and dyeing, I did have, like, an indigo vat going for a while, <gasps> and I do, I love all of that, but, you know, it's, you can just get lost. The time all of this takes yeah. is insane. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you have to kind of pick and choose. Um, but I would love to go to Oaxaca, yes. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> we'll just plant that seed in the universe. Right, and right. Your, and your daughter's not little anymore. She's 15, is that right? She is. That's craziness. I know. Um, and so do you find, like, because you, you've been doing this since she was little, like, it must be a lot easier now that she's 15 and got her own thing going on. Or yes, are you driving um, her to everything? I, both. Yeah. So, you know, it, it was, I know one of the questions that you're going to be interested in is my studio yes. and my studio is non-existent. I, I, you know, I work out of my house, which is one of the great things about embroidery is that you can work on your lap. Yeah. So there's like a sunny room in the house and that's where I work. But, but my other uh, mobile studio is either out of my car waiting for my daughter out of her music lessons, or, um, she's actually a very serious musician. Um, she's incredibly talented. Um, and she is part of an orchestra that she goes to every Sunday. So I spend hours at that school stitching yeah. out there. So people, you know, come by and they're like, Oh, what are you making? And you know, I have to have all those conversations too. Yeah. So that's kind of interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a podcast every Sunday. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's God. cool that you can do that on the go. Yes. Yes. It, you know, it's it's sometimes more difficult to try to focus, obviously, if yeah. there's people meandering around and there's weather to deal with. Um, but it is great that I, that I can take it on the road if I need to. Yeah. Do the other parents get who you are? Like, um, you know, it's it's a large orchestra and they're all older, so there's it. It's not the kind of place where we're all congregating in the same area. Oh, okay, okay. Um, there's sort of like an area where there's a restaurant and you can hang out. I look for. You know, I'm kind of introverted naturally, so I'll look for a quiet, sunny spot yeah, where I yeah. can be by myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, one, yeah, I think one of the questions I sent you was, okay, so I've done a little embroidery, terrible embroidery here and there on some of my pieces <laughs> back in the day. And my um, embroidery thread uh, library is one <laughs> giant, massive knot that I jam into uh -huh. a jar. And yeah. so, <laughs> are you super organized? or is No. Okay, you thank know, God. And I'm, a, I'm an organized person, like, in Me too. other parts of my life. Like, you know, I'm good at paperwork, and, you know, I, I'm actually a teacher by day. I'm a preschool teacher, which we haven't even talked about that yet. Oh, you're still, um, you still work? Oh, I do, yes, yes. And we can get into that next. But, oh, good Lord. But when it comes to threads... No, I just, the, the time that it takes to organize it every time drives me crazy. So I used to just keep it like in one big mass and I would keep leftovers in there and I'd have to fish it out. And I think I posted on Instagram a long time ago. I was doing these kind of kooky drawings with this loose thread, just like turning them into silly heads yeah, yeah. Um, just for fun. Um, but no, I, I have a little more organization in that, you know, I kind of keep them into like a, a big chunk of greens a okay. big chunk of blues, you know, a big chunk of fleshy tones, <laughs> but that's about as good as I can get. You know, the people that have them laid out beautifully and they're all wrapped on individual, I don't even know what you call them, those little floss holders, yeah. and they're like a rainbow of colors, like at the store. No, yeah. I'm, I'm a mess. Okay, good. I feel so much better. <laughs> um, there's a sound in the background, FYI. It is my dog scratching at the door to get in here. Oh. So if people can hear that weird sound, it's because Greg, my husband slash producer of the podcast, is away right now. Normally he distracts the dogs, but he's away for business. So I just 
Okay, hang on. I'm going to yell out. Well, I'm in favor of all dogs. I have my two cats here, my trusty cats by my side. Oh, well, hopefully Murphy won't bark and scare them away. Okay, <laughs> hang on. Murphy, go in your bed, buddy. Oh, Murphy. Go in your bed. He's a suck. He likes to just be beside me all the time. Um, yes. Okay, so let's talk about the fact that you have a day job. That's insane. Yes. yes. I know. It's kind of kooky um, that on top of like, you know, having a kid and having all that other stuff. But yeah, so running parallel to all of this, after my daughter was born, I left my job teaching art to kids. Yeah. I was a stay-at-home mom um, for the first couple of years, and I didn't go back to work until she went to preschool. Okay. And I actually went with her as a parent at a co-op. Oh, yeah. I did that, and too. I went to a yes. yeah, parent participation. Yep. Yes, and I loved it, um, and I already knew I liked working with kids, um, so this was just um, kind of an extension of that, and then I went back to school to get early childhood credits. Wow. Um, I did assistant teaching for many years and worked part-time when she was younger, um, and then eventually um, started working in a kindergarten class, and now I'm a preschool teacher. So, yes, lots of patience for children and threads. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> wow, that's so crazy, and so uh, how do you... Well, I guess maybe that's why you don't sleep. Yeah, yeah. I'm tired. For yeah. Sure. Do you drink coffee? <laughs> I do. I have one cup of coffee a day. Okay. But because I'm such a bad sleeper, I can't really have coffee after lunch. Right. Wow. I, already I don't can't know sleep, how you survive. So. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, I do have a lot of energy in general, so that that's on my side. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, okay. I think I've asked you all of the things. Um, I feel like I've jumped all over. Normally I'm more organized, but like I have, I just get so excited and I'm so happy to be talking to them. I'm like, what about this? And what about that? Yeah, um, fun. Okay, so we know that the New York show is coming up. Mm -hmm. um, are there other things people should be looking out for? I'm going to put the info for that show in the post. Um, Any you know, publications or anything? There, that... there's. I just did an interview yesterday for um, a lovely woman in Finland for something that's coming out, but, you know, I'm not even going to be able to understand it because it'll be in Finnish. <laughs> so, you know, there's... There's a few articles that um, that will be coming out, but I I, I don't want to say in advance because I'm right, not right. until it actually happens. I feel like I hear you. Will happen. I yeah. know. I hear that. I hear. That. I've, I've announced so many things and been like, oh, never mind. That fell through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, we'll but just wait. Coming up in New York, and then um, there might be another show um, next year um, back here in Los Angeles. But the, I'm still working that out. Okay. And then, so are you going to the New York? opening yeah yeah so I'm excited I've been in New York in a long long time yeah um it's a very short trip we're actually flying in that day um so hopefully I make it to my own opening on yeah time. no kidding <laughs> hopefully there's no like random snowstorm again in April know, in New York <laughs> I know because I have like a like a really like a two or three hour window oh to get from the airport there so we'll see well you'll just show up fashionably late and be this like right. mysterious artist who like breezes yeah, in at the last minute that's totally me. Totally, yeah. <laughs> in your jeans and sweater. Hello. I know, right. Mysterious. Exactly. But it'll be black. Yeah, so be mysterious. Me too. Me too. Oh. Um, okay, my friend, are you ready for the not-so-speedy speed round? Totally ready. Okay. Chips or donuts? Oh, chips. Yes. And but, 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 tortilla chips. Oh. Not potato chips. Oh. Tortilla chips. Do you dip them in something? I, I will have them plain, and I will have them with avocados. Okay. All right. I will take any kind of chip, tortilla, Me potato, well. whatever. Yes. Yes. I have to be really desperate to want potato. I don't know why. Wow. I don't understand that at all, but that's <laughs> fine. I would also finish it up with a donut, to be perfectly honest. But Yeah, you know, donuts, I like donuts, but I'm more of like a cake person. Okay. Yeah. You know, there's not that many good donut places around here like you know we don't have the crispy cream like we don't like there's not I mean we have Tim Hortons that's our donut thing but um I need a really good gourmet donut place to the point yeah. where like I would like to open one because I think it would be fun that could be another side project that yeah. you have time for right right I totally. do have to tell you a couple of fun donut stories though I okay. live in actually in Burbank which is a suburb in LA yeah um and just down the street there's a little hut called the donut hut Mm -hmm. Go on. Which is just pretty terrific. And then a couple blocks down from there, there's another donut shop. And their motto is, don't get a divorce, get a donut. <laughs> it's so brilliant. It is. I mean, come on. Yeah, that would just solve so many of the world's problems. I know. Just get a donut. Oh, well, I might have to swing by there when yeah. I'm in L.A. for the show. I think they're called the Donut Prince. 
Okay. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> See, this is the thing. Whenever I go to the States, it's always like, I do love my chips. I eat those on the plane on the way there, but there's always such Here. good donuts and stuff like that. Anyway. Yeah. This is why it's the not so speedy speed round. Yeah. Okay. Fav- the f- your favorite pair of shoes you had in high school. Okay. High school. Yeah. Did you have um, a go-to like look? You know, I have to say, I always have a pair of red Mary Janes, at least one pair mm. in my life continuously. I so love it. I can't, re- I can't remember exactly which variation of the Mary Jane I had in high school, but that's always a special shoe to me. Um, also clogs. I'm a big fan of clogs. <laughs> uh, I, why, why red Mary Janes? Uh, you know, it's Is it a funny. Wizard of Oz um, situation? There, I, there was a period when I may have been about five-ish that I was adamant about being called Dorothy and having my hair in two braids and wearing red shoes. Yes, that's true. Um, so it's partially that. Um, I'm a huge fan of Hans Christian Andersen um, and the red shoes. And there's just so many great stories about red shoes and just visually the way, the way that they look. Yeah. There's yeah. just something about them. Yep. Do you have red shoes in your work? I actually, one of the uh, very older embroideries I did, it's probably on Flickr. There's a little girl, um, a tiny, tiny one. It's just a couple inches, and it's a little girl, and she's looking inside of a shop at a pair of red Mary Janes. And it was actually, I was remembering a book that I had read probably like in second grade in the library, and I can't remember the title of it, but all I remember was that illustration. Mm. So I tried to recreate it for myself. Oh, I love it. Do you have a pair of Red Mary Janes right now? I do. Oh, I love it. I love it. I, I, I can't believe it. I'm so glad I asked that question. As I was writing that, I was like, this is such a random question. But yeah, anyway. No, no. Um, okay. True or false? You have seen a movie star. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you live in Burbank, for God's sake. Oh, my gosh. I've taught their children. Um, yes. I mean, you know, growing up here, they're all over the place. Yeah. See, and then the Canadian, I get down there and I'm like, oh, my God. Right. Yeah, it's it's a little more exciting for somebody from a small town. <laughs> Although when I lived in Toronto, I would see because they film so much in Toronto and Vancouver now yes. that I would see people everywhere. But I never said anything to them because I'm too Canadian. I'm too polite, and so I just never said anything. Yeah, and you know I don't say anything either. Especially you know I have worked in schools um, where they have been the parents, and I know that is the last thing that they need. And and really yeah. I'm focused on the children yes. that I'm teaching at the time. Um, or just, you know, even if it's outside of any kind of educational setting, too. I just feel like, you know, would I want someone coming up to me? Probably not. Probably not. Okay, is there <laughs> anybody really, like, that you were like, oh, my God, look, they're so-and-so? Um, that stuck in your mind? Or are you just so desensitized because you've lived in L.A. your whole life? <laughs> you know, I, I probably have seen people that um, have meant more to me than others. Um, but honestly, I, I can't, like, think off the top of my head. I I, I I, I also don't want to, like, you know, mention names of people because I don't want to, um, you know, <laughs> call out anybody. But yeah, I will enough. say, I, you know, I have to say one of the other huge influences on my life, I'm a really big Elliot Smith fan, um, who was a musician that, you know, died tragically um, oh. some decades ago now. Um, but there was a filmmaker that used his soundtrack on um, Good Will Hunting. Okay. And... I had to kind of discuss that with him. That was really the only time I was like, I am so sorry. I never normally talk to people about this, but just so you know, it's like because of your movie, I discovered this really great influence on my life. So thank you. That was really the only time I did that. Oh, and what was his reaction? <laughs> um, you know, he was, he's a really nice guy. Um, and he was just like, oh yeah, yeah, that was a really good song. <laughs> like, okay. Okay, I think bye it meant bye. more to me, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he I, was very nice. He probably thought I was a total weirdo, but whatever. No, but you would think like I that that kind of thing is nice. Like you know, I mean, yeah. not a constant barrage. Like if you're Tom Cruise or something, but you know, like right. if you're somebody who's not as recognizable, I you'd think that they'd be quite happy and flattered to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're like a behind the scenes person that's yeah. like you know helping talent come to the fore, right? Yeah. <laughs> my my best one was. Um, we saw all sorts of people in Toronto, but um, one time uh, in the heyday of Will and Grace, my husband oh. and I were in a bookstore, kind of like a Barnes and Noble um, chapters in Canada, and uh, we were standing at the magazine rack on a Saturday or whatever, and there's these two people standing there chatting, and I was on one side of them, and Greg was on the other side, and I kind of looked, and I was like, oh my God, that's Karen. 
from Will and Greg. <laughs> and so, and I'm like eyeballing Greg and like, he's just like nodding, you know? And so then we go around and we meet on the other side of the thing. And I'm like, did you see who that was? And he was like, yeah, it's Jack. And I was like, what? Cause I didn't notice that it was the guy. And I, so Jack and Karen were actually together standing so all here. Yeah, and so I was like, oh my God, we have to say something, because we normally, like, we saw Ellen and Renee Zellweger and all these, and, but we were like, we never said anything, and I was like, we got to say something, and we <laughs> didn't, and then they were in front of us in line, and we could have totally said something, and we chickened out. That's my big regret. Oh. Jack and Karen together. See? <sighs> we really missed that opportunity, but it was very, very exciting. That, well, was, that was my best Your one. next trip, it might be another opportunity, right? Maybe. Show's yep. back on. Maybe they're out That's looking right. at magazines. You don't know. That's right. Um, okay, and finally, if you could go anywhere in the world right now, like transport, I don't have to fly, uh, where would you go? Goodness. That is so hard. Um, Do you want to make a few stops on the trip? I know. Well, I'd like to travel back in time if I could. Oh, okay. Um, only because I, I, I had such a lovely childhood and there's so many people that I miss and I would love to see all those people around me again. Um, I think I would like to go to New Zealand to visit my in-laws. Um, like I said, my husband is actually British, but his parents retired there um, and we haven't made it over there yet. It's such a big trip. And, you know, in America, we don't get any time off. So, you know, it's, it's expensive and hard. So yeah. And it's a, it's a big, big trip. I went there when I was big a teenager trip. and it's just, Oh, Murphy. Enough. <laughs> it's, um, it's so beautiful. And you've got somewhere to stay. So yeah. 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 Well, okay. That, that's in the universe. That'll happen one day. Yeah. It'll happen someday. Yeah. Um, that was all my questions. Oh, thank you so much. It was lovely to chat with you. It was so nice. It was so <laughs> nice to like, get to know you a little bit and just hear all the stuff and um <laughs> you know this is a topic that comes up all the time and actually in the my new book I have a section about exactly this and um talk to three different artists who are you know doing like weaving and embroidery but in a fine art capacity and yeah um, I just find it all so interesting so I'm thrilled that I got to talk to you and then we get well, to do the show you. next year I know. I can't wait. Yeah, I, I wonder what I'm going to make. I have no idea. Yeah, I wonder what I'm going to call the show. I have no <laughs> yeah, idea. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, at least I know everybody that's in it. I just, it just feels so far. Normally, it's like people, you know, galleries will be like, do you want to do a show? Can you pull it together in four weeks? Right. And, you know, this is like, he called me so far ahead of time that I'm like, I, 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 have, I have to remember that I'm doing it. Yeah, that yeah. was so nice of him. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I was like, wow, this is weird. Um, yeah. But it's lovely. So, yeah, I'll, I'll swing back around and talk to you guys in, in a few months. And um, I'm going to come down for it. And so we'll finally actually meet. Yeah, that sounds great. Yay. Well, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your day. And um, I will talk to you soon. Thank you. Okay. See you later. Bye. Bye. Wow. So many beautiful answers to all of my many questions. <laughs> And sometimes the not-so-speedy speed round is just ridiculous, but I love that we found out about her Red Mary Janes. See, now that is a little tidbit the art history books would never include. Thank you so much to Michelle for taking time out of her very, 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 very busy life to talk to me. Thank you to Sachi Art for supporting this episode. And as always, thank you for listening. There will be more art for your ear next weekend. See you then. <laughs>